Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That with episode 277 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again, and it's Thursday, so you know exactly what that means. We are here to talk all things AEW and NXT. For AEW, we were coming out of Revolution, its first pay-per-view of 2022. We have plenty to talk about from a loaded, but spoiler alert, disappointing episode of Dynamite. While NXT is still building towards Stand and Deliver, but it hit a little bit of a roadblock Yes, called NXT Roadblock this past Tuesday on TV. An episode that had a ton of developments uh, for the brand and the title pictures going forward. So yes, an absolute ton to discuss on today's show. But it would not be an episode of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast if the Silver King did not remind you that this show... So please head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify Leave a five-star rating for your favorite wrestling podcast on Apple. Also leave a review. Let people know how much you love the show, why they should listen, and why they should subscribe. And there are a few weeks better than this one because not only is Getting Over on its third episode of the week right now here with number 277, we have two in the books, a great WWE episode with the Road to WrestleMania 38 off and running in a major way. The first time it's actually felt like the road to WrestleMania came this past week across Raw and SmackDown. And then on Wednesday, we gave you the bonus of all bonus episodes, an hour-long sit-down conversation with Shane Swerve Strickland. Yes, the Silver King, who has been talking this guy's praises dating back to 2018 or 2019, finally got the chance to sit down with Swerve for an hour. We talk about his exit from WWE his signing with AEW, and everything in between, including a lot of uh, insight to his time in NXT with Triple H, Shawn Michaels, and Hit Row. You do not want to miss that interview. But as I said, today we are talking AEW and NXT, and in a little bit of a change, of course, you guys know we normally start with AEW on this episode. I'm actually going to start with NXT, because I got to tell you, roadblock to my surprise for an episode of TV that seemed pretty thrown together over the last week, it delivered exceptionally well. That's not to say that top to bottom, the show was perfect because number one, no wrestling show is perfect. And NXT, especially the 2.0 version, is certainly not perfect. But there was a lot to love and sink your teeth into on this edition of NXT. And you know what? I can't really say the same for AEW. Dynamite had a lot of developments, but they were not really things that the Silver King enjoyed. And it really is now two weeks in a row to my absolute shock and surprise. And I mean this because, you know, longtime listeners of this show, you guys know that uh, I was an NXT fan during the black and gold era. That was my preferred product. But with the change to 2.0, and especially recently with AEW over the last four to five weeks, they have just been putting on banger episode after banger episode. So I've been singing AEW's praises, but I gotta say over the last two weeks, NXT has actually, to my shock, been putting on better in-ring wrestling on its Tuesday show compared to AEW's Wednesday show. And I don't know what is happening with AEW right now, but I just was not thrilled 
top to bottom with the episode of Dynamite we got on Wednesday. So we're going to break all of that down starting right now. A reminder on this episode, this NXT AEW episode, just like all of our shows here at Getting Over, we include timestamps in our episode descriptions. So if you don't want to hear about NXT, you want to jump right to AEW, hit the episode description, find the timestamp, make the jump. But of course, as always, the Silver King hopes that everyone listens to every single second of our programming. It's really good to know what's happening, even on brands that you may not watch. So as I said, we're going to start with NXT Roadblock. And the main event of that show was the NXT Championship, Braun Breaker defending against Tommaso Ciampa and Dolph Ziggler in a triple threat match. Ciampa backstage said he wouldn't let Ziggler tear down his NXT and that the match to him was more about the title. It's about main eventing stand and deliver. Then he got crazy passionate and threw a chair as always. Uh, Incredible promo like usual with Ciampa. Breaker later cut a promo about how it's become so important for him to be NXT champion. And then Ziggler cut a really cool promo backstage as he made his entrance to the ring saying he was about to screw up WrestleMania plans for everybody. And he was really super pumped up before the bell. Ziggler and Ciampa outsmarted Breaker early, but he did a cool double vertical suplex on them. Ciampa and Ziggler had a great extended sequence. Ciampa nearly submitted in the Steiner recliner. The fans did chance for all three guys simultaneously, which was really cool. Ciampa ate a Famouser in a zigzag, but kicked out a 2.8 for a great near fall. There was a strange botch spot where Braun like fell onto the ground and rolled out of the ring. I think he got confused thinking it was the next spot in the sequence, which was Ciampa doing the fairy tale ending on Ziggler, but eating a spear for his troubles. Braun completely turned Ziggler inside out with a huge spear, and it was a great sell by Dolph. Then he hit a lifted press power slam, but Robert Roode ran down to pull the referee out of the ring. Breaker knocked out Roode, but Ciampa caught him with Willow's Bell and Fairy Tale ending. Ziggler pushed him aside for a 2.8 false finish. Ciampa then threw Ziggler out of the ring, but Roode pulled Breaker out of the way as Ciampa tried a running knee. Ziggler then caught Ciampa with a super kick to become the new NXT champion in 13 minutes. This match was a blast. Bell to bell chaos, and the finish went exactly as expected. This again proved how insane it is that Ziggler is not like a five or six time world champion on the main roster right now. The guy has every single thing you could want in a star. He can speak, he can wrestle, he can sell, he does it all. And you guys all know, I'm not a huge fan of short title reigns. And this is the shortest uh, in NXT since Keith Lee uh, dropped it to Karrion Cross after I think 52 days or so back in 2020. So, uh, and I say shortest non-relinquished because obviously Samoa Joe had to relinquish the title and Karrion Cross had to relinquish the title. So this was the the shortest real title reign uh, basically in two years. And I don't normally love that, but I have a feeling they want to give Braun a really big moment at Stand and Deliver to win the title back. And it does create some headlines for Ziggler to be NXT champion, which could get some people to tune in next week to the show. So for me, all of it worked. Quality main event, a really good piece of business all around. I went four stars in an A minus because I couldn't really go higher due to the interference finish. Now, there are some reports out there that WWE may be considering bringing uh, Braun Breaker up to the main roster faster than expected. And if that's the case, then that could potentially change what I believe the plans are for Stand and Deliver. But right now, my expectation is in basically four weeks' time, three weeks' time, uh, Breaker ends up winning this title back. We also had a last man standing match on NXT. LA Knight against Grayson Waller. Knight attacked Waller on the ramp. Waller got up on him, but Knight took him off the top rope with a leaping superplex. Then he hit the BFT, but only got a seven count. They climbed the scaffolding atop the stage, and Knight punched Waller off just into a void, but apparently Sango was standing behind it. 
The, the way they gimmicked it was that he caught him and carried Waller to the ring. Knight nailed Sangha with a chair, uh, but he was unaffected and chokeslammed LA on the apron. Waller brought out handcuffs, but Knight stole them and then locked Sangha around the post. Knight caught Waller. Uh, he tried the rolling cutter attempt, but he dropped him out of the ring straight through a table at ringside. Waller barely got to his feet at nine, then fell back down. Waller begged for mercy, but Knight wrapped a trash can around his body and hit him with the chair five times. Then he nailed Sangha with the chair five times. Waller is like down on the ground for 20 seconds, taking the shots after the shots, just dead. And the referee just isn't counting. It didn't make a shred of sense. Uh, Knight was set to put him through the announce table when Waller pulled out a slapjack, like a real slapjack, (laughs) you know, like the weapon, uh, and slapped Ellie in the face. Then he jumped on the top rope and did his between the legs elbow drop through the table, elevated on the platform. Waller slid onto Sangha, who stood up with Waller on his back. He, his feet barely, like, uh, his toes were barely touching the ground with his body in the air while Knight was still down for the 10 count. It was a really damn solid match. I got taken out of it when the referee refused to count for no good reason. Sangha's presence made the result obvious because it was obviously going to be a two-on-one. But despite, like, me not necessarily loving how the whole finish played out, the very end of it, the final few moments, were pretty smart, unique, and inventive with the heel jumping on his his bodyguard or his heavy's back and literally being lifted up to beat the 10 count. That was really cool. It was good work all around, good wrestling, some pretty big moves. I went 3.75 stars and a B plus here. Uh, for the women's Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic, we had two semifinal matches. Raquel Gonzalez and Cora Jade fought Dakota Kai and Wendy Chu. There was a funny spot with Wendy falling asleep on the canvas and the faces like tiptoeing around not to wake her. Toxic Attraction took out Gonzalez's knee, Tanya Harding style, during the match. Trainers checked her, but she demanded to, fit, demanded to finish. She could barely get on the ring apron. Jade hit a pump knee and a meteora on Chu for a near fall. Chu did a full Nelson slam and tag team face buster with Kai for a near fall. Raquel tagged in hobbling on one leg and was unable to hit the Chingona bomb. Kai took advantage with a coup de gras as Chu hit a top rope Vader bomb for the upset win in 14 minutes and 30 seconds. I just didn't necessarily like this match wrestling-wise. I didn't think in-ring it was that solid, mostly because Jade and Shu did the majority of the work. But this did answer the question I posed last week regarding who would be Mandy Rose's challenger at Stand and Deliver. I thought it would clearly be Gonzalez, though Cora attacked Mandy for hurting Gonzalez, so I guess it could potentially be a triple threat, or maybe it is Mandy Rose against Gonzalez one-on-one. But what I did appreciate is, even though I didn't love the match, they gave it plenty of time. And, you know, early in this tournament, I got really scared it was going to be another Queen's Crown with some short matches, but they gave both of the semifinal matches a ton of time on this show. They got the chance to work. Did I love it? No, but, you know, respect that they got the opportunity. Now, the second match was kind of a polar opposite for me of the first one. Io Shirai and Kaylee Gray against Casey Kentnazaro and Caden Carter. There were two Chippendale style waiters uh, in Toxic Attractions Lounge. It Idris Anofe and Malik Blade took them out at some point so they could replace them and wait hand and foot on Mandy. I did find that pretty entertaining and relatively fun. Uh, this was the match I most wanted to see in the whole Dusty Cup. Carter hit KLR with a disaster kick for a near fall. Io and Casey were an absolute blast together with a ton of quick moves. Casey took out Io with a perfect tornillo while Carter splashed KLR off the apron. Casey was over as hell with the crowd. She had a great flipping X factor, but Io took her out and hit a 619 and missile dropkick on Carter for a 2.8. The KCs then went for their finisher, but KLR stopped it. Carter pushed Shirai out of the ring, and with KLR on Carter's shoulders, 
Casey jumped on KLR's shoulders and hit a poison Rana that was absolutely freaking insane. Shirai then threw Carter into the steps. KLR super kicked Casey, hit the gory bomb, and tagged Shirai for the moon over moonsault and the win in 12 minutes. My expectations were high for this match. And this somehow exceeded them in every way. I just, I literally wrote for my note here, what a freaking match. This was the paradigm of a losing team getting over by looking so incredibly good. Shirai and KLR sold their asses off for Kat Nazaro and Carter, and they continue to impress me, and I still believe they're overlooked. They probably should have won this tournament. I've said it numerous times, they should already be on the main roster because they're like the only 100% true women's tag team in the entire company. This probably should have been the finals of the tournament. If I was booking it, it would have been. And look, some of you may think I'm crazy with this grade I'm about to give it, okay? And I understand. Maybe I was a prisoner of the moment. But I'm giving it 4.25 stars and an A. I just thought it was really great, and I loved the work of all four women in this match. The Creed brothers got attacked in the NXT parking lot, seemingly with crowbars, and they were taken to the training room where Gonzalez was also being checked out. Imperium later denied that they would ever do something like that to the Creeds. MSK stepped up and said they would take the Creed spot um, in the title match that was scheduled for NXT Roadblock. And when they won, they would give the Creeds a shot at stand and deliver. And then later, this was confirmed official by NXT. So we did get a tag team title match, Imperium against MSK. Wesley went on a wild hot tag with a ton of big moves. Nash Carter hit a cannonball off the apron, but Fabian Eichner caught Lee flying into a twisting backbreaker. The Creeds ran in after five minutes for a DQ, and they went wild on all four guys while gripping their injuries on their bodies. I didn't really like how this played out, but it seems like they wanted to do a triple threat at Stand and Deliver, so they figured that this is the way they get there. But that ruins the point of the Creeds winning the number one contendership in the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. The whole point of them winning was to get a number one contendership match. So I didn't love really how this was handled, but there's no question that a triple threat match between these teams will bang. And if that is what ends up being on the program, then that's going to be pretty exciting. Uh, Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams were back in the barbershop. Hayes talked about doing the ladder match for the North American title. And Trick said everyone should have to qualify. Their part was fine, but all of the other dudes in the shop were corny as hell. Uh, It was okay. Look, it's not in the same ballpark as Hit Row in the lab, the Cypher, all the stuff that Hit Row was doing. But it's clear they're trying to do um, something that feels a little bit more real, something outside of general professional wrestling by having these guys in an environment that they would perhaps normally be in, right? So I appreciate the effort. It's just not hitting for me in the exact same way. Uh, Santos Escobar and Cameron Grimes, they're going to be in the first qualifying match next week. That match will definitely bang, of course. Tony D'Angelo was in his cousin's restaurant saying he would become the new Don of NXT at Stand and Deliver. The assumption has to be that he's going to end up in the ladder match. But again, there's no clear direction. He doesn't have an opponent. So he keeps talking about like dominating Stand and Deliver, but we have no idea how he's going to get there or or why or against whom. So it's just strange that they're doing it that way. Uh, Indy Hartwell and Persia Parada argued backstage over their relationships, their NXT success, and who was at fault for their loss in the Dusty Cup. Duke Hudson egged it on and they decided to fight each other. Then Parada fully like made out with Hudson, pushing him against the lockers. NXT, as we've said numerous times on this podcast, is just so damn horny. Uh, But this segment was fine, far better than the dog shit acting that we got in a couple segments uh, earlier in the show, but that we're going to talk about a little bit later coming up here. 
That's the most action I've had all year. Uh, we had Tiffany Stratton against Fallon Henley. Saray stalked Stratton backstage. Stratton impressively caught Henley, threw her on her to her shoulders, hit a Samoan drop. Smoke from Saray's entrance distracted Stratton as Saray caught her with a kick from behind and Henley hit a shining wizard for the win in three minutes. This was just setting up a feud and while it was nice for Henley to get a win, it was really nothing notable. Stratton does flash talent and charisma when she's in the ring and that's obviously a good note for WWE, but it's just not all coming together yet. Uh, Stratton later did challenge Saray, promising to break her necklace and her face next week on NXT. Uh, Briggs and Jensen came out and put Henley on her, their shoulders afterward. They celebrated with her backstage. They later blamed Legato del Fantasma for the parking lot attack on the Creeds, given their history. Of course, Legato denied it. And Electro Lopez told Jensen he should just focus on getting laid. It's just crazy how everyone in NXT is better actors than... All, all the men in NXT are better actors than Briggs and Jensen. And all the women in NXT are better actresses than Lash Legend and Nikita Lyons, because we had lashing out with Nikita on the show. Lash basically called Lyons' mom a trick. She said Lyons knows why she was trending two weeks ago and said that she had butt implants. Nikita said her spray tan and nails were the only things fake that were on her body. Uh, Security came out, kind of like Jerry Springer security. They started arguing. And then the whole thing just kind of fizzled out and ended at that point. So they are doing a feud with two wrestlers who are so green, they shouldn't even be wrestling on television and are such poor actors that they shouldn't even be acting on television. I actually have negative interest in this upcoming match. This thing was absolutely horrendous. I don't want to see either of them on my television. And it's a shame too, because, you know, Lash Legend is a former college basketball player. Nikita Lyons clearly has some skill. If they had some training and acting classes and, and were able to actually develop before being on TV, I think they could both potentially maybe have a future. But so far, the way both of them have been presented, you know the sound drop that's coming. Zero point zero. Actually, I should probably use a different one for NXT these days. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. Andre Chase criticized his students for screwing up his entrance last week. Chase then went off cursing and flipping off a student for questioning him. Uh, these get better every single time that we see them with Andre Chase. Uh, this was a gimmick I was 50-50 about at the beginning. I'm all in. Uh, he's hysterical. The gimmick's really funny. You know, I think the red sweater kind of throws people off because it's a little bit corny. I'd maybe dress him a little bit more like a professor and less like someone who's attending the university. Why is he wearing a sweater that says Chase you? Everyone else should be wearing a sweater that says Chase you. So I would switch that up and, and change his appearance. But the Andre Chase gimmick, it is absolutely working. Uh, Draco Anthony was working out when Harland was stalking him from behind. Joe Gacy tried to convince him to join them, but Zion Quinn stepped up to say Anthony was his own man. There wasn't much to this. I presume there's going to be a tag team match. And maybe at the end of that, Draco turns on Zion. I don't know. But again, it's a real low card storyline right now. And there was also an announcement that a kid from NXT UK uh, will be coming to NXT and will make his debut next week. That is super exciting because this guy, the first uh, Spanish from Spain talent in WWE history, he's incredible in the ring. Uh, Ikiminjiro was also excited, but Kushida wasn't as impressed. So I think it's pretty clear that A-Kid and Kushida will, will be the match next week. That's great for a debut, but it's probably another situation where Kushida loses. And that's really unfortunate. The guy just seems completely rudderless and directionless. Yes, he's much more of a fit for black and gold NXT than he is for 2.0, but I'd still like to see him wrestle and win and be a part of the show. So I'm not exactly sure what they're doing. 
Uh, I do hope that the Kushida A Kid match ends up as the NXT North American Championship qualifier for the ladder match for one of those matches. That would make a lot of sense. So look, NXT as a whole, right? It's not black and gold NXT. It's never going to be black and gold NXT. And there's usually a quarter to a third of the show that is not fit for television and is relatively unwatchable. But honestly, people who are still down on NXT and think that there's nothing positive happening on the show are just not watching. I've said it before on this podcast. If you were turned off by some of those initial uh, episodes, the first two or three NXT 2.0 episodes, I'm with you. I totally agree and understand that. Uh, But the product has gotten significantly better. And I would say that over the last four to six weeks, it is more of a hybrid of both shows uh, than it is a pure 2.0 show. We're getting a lot of really good wrestling, as you heard me break down and describe this week. So I am looking forward to Stand and Deliver. I'm very curious how they're going to book the damn territory to get us there. Uh, But this was a pretty damn good week of NXT television. Now, with that, let's move over to AEW. And I need to say, this was not, I want to clarify, it was not one of the worst episodes of Dynamite. But for me, it was one of the most disappointing, especially for a show that's a post-pay-per-view episode coming out of a very newsworthy event. The only thing that I truly enjoyed was the opening segment, which we're going to talk about in a moment. And it just seemed like Tony Khan wanted to refresh a lot of storylines, but did it like haphazardly and with suddenness, in many cases, perhaps even without much thought. And they even did a debut on the show that should have been massive. And I'm sure it's going to do good social media numbers, but it was booked as poor as it possibly could have been booked, which was extremely disappointing given the caliber of wrestler that debuted. There were legitimately six, six Tony Schiavone interview slash speech segments on one episode. It was also the second week in a row, as I mentioned earlier, where I thought the in-ring wrestling on NXT was better than AEW, which is not something that should ever happen these days. And I'm not saying that every match in NXT was better than every match in AEW, but the top three matches in NXT this week, I thought were better, clearly, than the top three matches in AEW. Again, that should never happen. And you all know, everyone who listens to this podcast, I have been singing Dynamite's praises over the last month. I think their last four shows are arguably four of the best shows they ever put on television. And I do stand by that. But this week was so incredibly frustrating to me on multiple levels, including the fact that the entire show from start to finish felt like it was rushed. So let's get into the show. I'm going to start with the opening segment that I loved, and then we'll go through the rest. And hopefully you understand why I was not so enthusiastic about it. So Chris Jericho opened Dynamite saying that the Eddie Kingston match at Revolution was one of the best in his career. It woke something up inside of him. Jericho said he didn't shake Kingston's hand out of frustration, so he wanted to apologize and make good with him. Eddie admitted Jericho got in his head, and he did a good job quieting what chance from the crowd, which again are so stupid. Please, it's, it, that was dumb 20 years ago, and it's certainly dumb in 2022. Kingston talked about uh, getting the win for the fans and crying in his hotel afterward. He said the handshake was for Jericho, who's been missing something deep inside, but proved that he's still the man in the ring. Jericho said Kingston had his respect and they shook hands. And that was a nice moment. 2.0 and Danny Garcia came out to take down both men, but they really mostly concentrating on beating up Kingston. Santana and Ortiz then came down to clear the ring. Jericho took the bat. He was ready to hit Danny Garcia with it, but instead he took out Santana and Ortiz in succession and attacked with the three heels. Jake Hager then ran down uh, to side with Jericho. 
Then Jericho took Kingston out with the bat. Hager then really struggled, but eventually powerbombed Kingston through a table at ringside. And Eddie almost landed on his neck. I mean, it looked super dangerous. I presume he's okay because we haven't heard anything, but I did not like the way it looked. Uh, But that was the end of the segment. And Jericho then announced the group is the Jericho Appreciation Society. They took off their inner circle jackets, threw them down, gave them middle fingers. This was strong. I thought it was well-booked as a segment, and it made a lot of sense for Jericho's character, given what Sammy Guevara said recently, Santana and Ortiz not really having his back. It all made sense. I like the comedy aspects of 2.0. You guys know I was very upset when NXT uh, released them. But it is a massive downgrade, we have to admit. Going from Sammy, Santana, and Ortiz to 2.0 and Danny Garcia. Kingston linking up with Santana and Ortiz, that would make all the sense in the world. I'm not sure I'll ever like the Jericho Appreciation Society as much as the Inner Circle, but the whole thing did need freshening up, so I, I definitely get what they did here. This was probably the best thing on Dynamite Wednesday, mostly because Jericho and Kingston were so in command of their promos and did such a good job selling the storyline. So we had Brian Danielson and John Moxley against J.D. Drake and Anthony Henry. William Regal came out with Danielson as the de facto manager. Brian did a surfboard. His shoulders were down on the mat probably for 8, 9, 10, 12 seconds. The referee didn't bother to count. Danielson hit the psycho knee, stomped Drake's head, and won with the label lock. Regal then grabbed the mic, and you know I saw people really praising his promo. I mean, I don't know what they were listening to. He rambled on and on. He got choked up thinking Tony Schiavone called Brian the perfect wrestler and said Mox was a sadist. There, I just did his entire promo in five seconds. He said others will step up or get stepped on by them. Uh, And I thought coming out of a really hot moment at Revolution, this was a pretty big letdown, all things considered. And this is from someone, again, who loves Brian Danielson, John Moxley, and William Regal. I just didn't think this hit. The opponent wasn't good enough to make them look strong. And, you know, having William Regal get the mic to himself, not having... Brian Danielson or John Moxley say anything, I would have much rather heard them communicate with each other in a backstage segment. And then maybe next week Regal comes out and makes a big grand statement. It just didn't work for me the way it was done. Uh, The second segment on the show was an AEW championship match, Hangman Adam Page against Dante Martin. Hangman caught Dante flying and turned it into a powerbomb. There was a fun athletic sequence that ended with a buckshot lariat for the win. Page called Martin back into the ring, put over his singles run and shook his hand. Adam Cole then came out to say Hangman's win was a fluke that won't happen again. Then he issued a six-man challenge saying he has a young tag team that are his friends and not pages and that he won't stop until he ruins Hangman's life and takes the world title. I didn't really see the point of this match other than Dante being quote-unquote deserving of it, which is fine, I guess. But Page just defended the title a couple days earlier and there was no build whatsoever for this. It wasn't even a particularly good match. They should have probably promoted it for next week and Cole slotting right back in as the number one contender, really for no reason at all, flies in the face of AEW's no rematch policy, its ranking system, everything. Uh, And I know they tossed the no rematch policy kind of a while ago by doing a bunch of rematches on television, but this is just absurd given how stacked their talent roster is to basically say, no, Adam Cole, he's still next in line. Uh, The problem is the roster is larger than ever before, which makes rematches less necessary than ever before. The whole thing to me was disappointing. Hangman later apologized to Dark Order for getting a hothead during Revolution. John Silver asked which two guys he was gonna pick to be on his team. Page said he had already asked Jurassic Express and they were all hurt by that. And I I do like the idea of Hangman becoming too big for them now, 
that he's champion and then being offended by it and it causing a rift. And maybe it eventually leads to them costing him the title or something like that. I don't really know, but I, I do find that intriguing. Uh, the elite later commiserated backstage with Cole getting the teams to stop arguing. The Young Bucks said they wouldn't fight Hangman, I presume because they assumed that because Cole said the word young, but Cole said he actually was picking Red Dragon anyway. I thought he was teasing someone from outside, like maybe Cesaro and Tyler Breeze because he did mention the word party and he was part of the party, but I guess not. The whole thing was just kind of weird for him not to say Red Dragon earlier, only for them to do this segment where they just said, oh, yeah, no, 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 it's Red Dragon. Forget the surprise. The whole thing was strange. Um, staying with the tag teams, we had a tag team championship match. Jurassic Express against the Acclaimed. Luchasaurus broke a fall after Acclaimed hit their mic drop finisher. There was a nonsensical spot with a boombox. Acclaimed then did a double team, like press driver kind of move. Super inventive and really nice. Christian Cage uh, stopped Max Caster from using his chain. And the champions hit an assisted Doom Day device with um, Jungle Boy jumping, not from the corner, but off the top rope. The finish was sloppy. The match was really nothing to write home about. Unlike Hangman and Martin, though, I didn't have much of a problem with this being booked because the acclaimed were completely overlooked in the tag team title match at Revolution. They were the number one team in the rankings and got screwed over by two battle royals for doing qualifying matches really for no reason at all. So it did make sense for the acclaimed to get the match, but they also didn't tell us that story on TV as the reason why the match was happening, which they absolutely should have. Wardlow said he came to a point where he had to decide whether to help someone else fulfill their dreams or go after his own. He said his prior boss to MJF was basically the same. He thanked MJF for getting his foot in the door, paying him well, and changing his life, but said he didn't have the right to disrespect and threaten him. Wardlow said he's out of the pinnacle and no longer MJF's bodyguard. He suggested MJF MJF be smart and let him out of the contract, saying he didn't care to take MJF out because karma would get the job done. Wardlow then said his lone focus is winning the TNT title and getting an AEW contract. Perfectly good promo that set the stage for Wardlow's run. I was a little surprised not to see MJF answer though. Also, given how dominant Wardlow is, it seems a little strange that he would need to win the TNT title to get an AEW contract, which is basically what he said in his promo. All he really needs is to be let out of MJF's contract. And then if you're Tony Khan, how do you not sign that guy immediately? It wouldn't make any sense. But speaking of the pinnacle breaking up, FTR and Tully Blanchard were backstage. Dax Harwood started challenging both elite teams. Tully interrupted him saying their goal should be championships. Dax said he was focused on his family. Cash Wheeler then pushed Tully away, saying it's about family and that he's fired. It was a super random, really fast segment that came out of nowhere and ended suddenly. So Pinnacle, I guess, is dead. It seemed like a face turn for FTR, which is welcome to switch stuff up. But the whole thing was really strange. The inner circle's gone. Uh, Pinnacle's gone. And really, like, maybe the Hardy family order kind of still exists. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Dark Order's hanging on by a thread. They had all these factions and everything's kind of disappearing. And now you have Tully Blanchard and you're like, what the hell is he going to do if he's not with FTR? And by the way, why isn't he with FTR? Right? Like, like they that whole thing made all the sense in the world. He doesn't have anyone. Arn Anderson, who was a manager pr- primarily with Cody, he only has like his son and, and Lee Johnson now. Uh, you know, Dan Lambert is managing, is managing, uh, Lance Archer when Lance Archer already had a manager in Jake Roberts. So I'm just the whole, I'm confused about everything. As you can tell right now, maybe Tully links up with MJF. That way MJF still has someone having his back. That could make some sense. 
On Rampage, speaking of Dan Lambert, he cut the same promo he did from Dynamite about Scorpio Sky getting a TNT title match ahead of the number one contender from the face of the Revolution ladder match. Since Tony Khan did this, Lambert agreed to bring Paige Van Zandt to Revolution to sign with AEW, except she didn't sign with AEW. It was also kind of a letdown to like announce that PVZ is signing. And again, it didn't really make sense for them to allow Scorpio Sky to jump someone who just became the number one contender. Why are you having a number one contendership match if you're just going to give someone else an opportunity before that person gets to go? But anyway, so we got a TNT championship match on Dynamite, Sammy Guevara against Scorpio Sky. It was the main event of the show. Sky jumped off a table at ringside as Guevara did a 6.30 senton off the top rope through the table with absolutely nothing to break his fall. Ty Conti, his girlfriend now, ran down scared as Sammy sold his ribs and they tried to get him to end the match. It was a really good sell job by Sammy there. He spit in Sky's face seemingly for no reason. Uh, Paige Van Zandt was in the front row and shit-talked Conti. Sky worked on the ribs as much as he could, but Sammy somehow landed the GTH only for Sky to roll under the ropes. Sky barely got his knees up on a shooting star press. Conti pulled Ethan Page off the ring apron. Then Van Zant threw her into the steps. That distracted Sammy, and Sky hit the TKO to win the TNT Championship. Sky then hit Sammy with the belt, and Van Zant knocked out Conti before signing her AEW contract and dropping it in the ring. The crowd was pretty silent for this entire thing. There, it was just a strange booking overall. Guevara had a really strong run with the title, and they ended it with an absolute thud. He could have gone down swinging next week against Wardlow, an opponent who would be a sensible person to end his reign, not to mention that beating Sammy would really help elevate Wardlow, given he's mostly just crushed jobbers, and Sky doesn't really have the same cachet, even though he's a veteran, of course, and he's been wrestling for longer. Instead, Sky enters that match as a lackluster champion who will either have a one-week reign, which makes Wardlow's win less impressive, or MJF is going to cost Wardlow the title, which would completely negate the impact of winning face of the revolution at a big pay-per-view. It's like a lose-lose booking as far as I'm concerned. Also, I'm really getting tired. You guys know I am a huge fan of Sammy. I am getting tired of this guy taking completely unnecessary bumps and risks. He's young and super talented. It should be incumbent upon AEW and Tony Khan to make sure he's protecting himself and not doing things that can seriously injure him and potentially end his career and maybe even life so early. It just, it doesn't make sense and it takes me out of stuff. Speaking of things that don't make sense, uh, there was an AHFO emergency family meeting. So as if we didn't already know what was going to happen, they kind of gave it away with an emergency meeting in the middle of the ring. Only like six of the 20 people in the faction were in the ring. I'm at the point where I don't even remember who is or is not in it anymore. Unprompted, Matt Hardy said Andrade El Idolo is planning to fire him. Okay, and then Matt said every time he wears a suit, he acts like an asshole just like Andrade. They did a thumbs up, thumbs down vote of whether Matt should remain there. Private party went thumbs up. Then when Matt turned around, they turned them to thumbs down. Butcher and Blade were there. They didn't even vote. So I don't know why private parties vote even mattered if they could have overruled them four to three, but I digress. Um, then they all attacked Matt. Darby Allen and Sting eventually took their sweet ass time. They like strolled down to the ring as if they were going apple picking or something. Um, even though they were obviously outnumbered, they slowly got into the ring and started fighting. Then what should have been the highlight of the show, Jeff Hardy makes his debut. His brother, Matt, is getting the absolute shit kicked out of him in the ring 
Hardy stops on the ramp to do his dance. Then he finally gets in the ring, hits a swanton bomb. There was a nice moment with Darby looking at him in disbelief, not believing that Hardy's actually there. But I'm not sure that I could have booked a less exciting debut for Jeff Hardy if I tried. It was a terrible low-card segment with an obvious finish. And Jeff Hardy, yes, he is at the tail end of his career, no doubt about it. But if you're going to book him debuting in your company, you got to make a big deal about it. I mean, I'm not saying he's Sting, but you should at least treat it as you did Keith Lee, at least on that level. Instead, he just runs out and then he's gone. You never hear from him. He doesn't cut a promo, nothing. So huge disappointment as far as I was concerned. Uh, We also had Thunder Rosa versus Layla Hirsch in a number one contendership match. Rosa got a near fall on a Northern Light suplex. Rosa and Hirsch combined for a rough superplex. Hirsch grabbed the turnbuckle uh, wrench from under the ring. Then Red Velvet ran down and threw her into the ring. Hirsch nearly dropped Rosa on her head. Rosa finally won with a Thunder Driver. This is a really good example of two quality in-ring wrestlers who just don't have chemistry and don't work well together. It was an extremely rough and clunky match. AEW made the obvious announcement that Rosa would get a women's title match, but this time it's going to be inside a steel cage. Of course, we only saw Britt Baker in her normal backstage promo area. Baker wondered why Rosa got another opportunity, called it a conspiracy against her. She said she's not afraid of Rosa or a cage, but is afraid of what would happen to AEW if Rosa becomes champion. Baker repeated that she won their Lights Out match last year, even though she didn't, you know, actually win the match. Um, It was probably one of Baker's worst promos to date, is the best way I can put it. I liked the added steel cage stipulation to the booking, given the finish at Revolution. AEW also gets to promote its first women's steel cage match, but this whole thing was very WWE style in terms of pushing a result that we should have gotten on a pay-per-view, in this case, when we paid $50 to watch, pushing it off to a TV show just to try and pop a rating. I'm not fond of that part. Rosa absolutely must win the title. I have to believe she will. And it's going to be another rematch, as we talked about earlier. Uh, Swerve was backstage trying to cut his first interview when, of course, Tony Nese interrupted before he could get even get words out, saying they have a history of wrestling on Friday nights, so they should rekindle that on Rampage. Nice's promo was terrible. Swerve was nails as usual, even though he didn't get much to work with. QT Marshall welcomed Keith Lee to AEW and said Team Taz is a common enemy for them. He said the factory would have Keith's back, but Lee denied the help and QT got offended by that. What a great start for Keith Lee, by the way, doing the Team Taz and QT Marshall feuds simultaneously. (laughs) I mean, it's just, holy hell, give this guy something to work with. He debuted on your company. He got a huge ovation and now he's working with QT Marshall and Team Taz. Give me a freaking break. Uh, Jade Cargill asked who wants her kiss of death on that bitch show. I guess she was making a challenge for Rampage. Jade looks great from a packaging standpoint, and she is getting slightly better in the ring. Something about her is not hitting with me. We also had Pac versus Wheeler Yuta. Pac had an avalanche brain buster in one with a brutalizer. There was no story or reason for this match even happening. Two faces fighting each other. And then on Rampage, we had Serena Deeb against Lila Gray in a five-minute challenge. Deeb won with the chokehold in like one minute. This remains horrible. Deeb went for further punishment and Hikaru Shida made a return, attacking Deeb with a kendo stick. So it looks like they're about to have their 27th rematch. I thought they were doing this possibly for someone like Ember Moon, Athena is her independent name, to make a debut. Someone surprise, take the challenge, outlast Deeb, and then beat her in a match. That's what I assumed was going to happen. Instead, the whole booking 
was just to waste time until Hikaru Shida came back so they could fight once again. So again, folks, I got to tell you, it was just not, in terms of television, you guys know we praised Revolution on our Instant Analysis podcast on Sunday, which by the way, reminds me, this is actually a four episode week, not a three episode week, but I digress. Uh, You guys know we praised Revolution, uh, but yeah, Dynamite and Rampage really fell flat, did not enjoy them. Uh, outside of the go-home moments for Revolution that were on Rampage. Some of those were okay. But Dynamite, yeah, it just wasn't my show this week. I hope they regroup next week. Um, The big St. Patrick's Day show seems to be pretty loaded from a card perspective. So I don't have much of a doubt that they're going to bounce back. But for this episode of Dynamite, yeah, again, it wasn't a bad episode per se, but it was one of the most disappointed I had been going into a show, expecting some really good stuff and actually not getting it. So really, that is it for this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. We have so many awesome shows coming up ahead uh, on this road to WrestleMania 38, not to mention tons of AEW stuff. I plan to have interviews, uh, you know, breakdown for NXT Stand and Deliver. It's it's just endless, the amount of shows that we're going to have over the next three and a half to four weeks. And I hope you guys are along for the ride. Do not forget, please follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. It's a great way to know every single time a new show drops. Also, if, I don't know, you know, there's other ways that you could potentially listen to this, but we're available on every platform. So whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Amazon Music, like whatever it is, Amazon Prime Music, whatever it is, we are available. So be sure to subscribe to Getting Over if this is your first time listening. And please do not forget that Getting Over... So on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, leave that five-star rating for us. On Apple, also leave a review. Let people know how much you love the show, why you listen, and why they should subscribe. That is it for today. We will be back Tuesday with our WWE episode talking SmackDown and Raw. Could have some pretty notable developments on Raw. We will see. But at this point, the Silver King is just going to leave you with three final words. Bye for now.